Meditations on the Psalms. Psalm chapter 38. The penitent in this psalm feels both the weight of God's righteous anger, and the bitterness of man's undeserved enmity, verses 4, 19, and 20. It suits David's suffering from Absalom because of his sin against God in the matter of Uriah. He speaks as like a leper outside the camp. And such is the figure of a convicted sinner, or of a saint under discipline. He is separated as one defiled and defiling, but Jesus can meet us in that place, though none else can. As a poor woman convicted of her sins once said, I am too bad for any but Jesus, and that blessed Saviour, as we know. But once, spotless, and yet made sin, was led to the slaughter without opening his mouth. Verse 13, Matthew chapter 26 verse 63, Matthew chapter 27 verses 12, 14, He did not answer the accusing of the wicked, but silently, or in the unutterable musing of his spirit, committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. This was expressed in David towards Shimei. 2 Samuel 16, David knew not the counsel of the sons of Zeruiah, his soul had no sympathy with it. And this psalm may be read as an utterance of the remnant, for they will call to remembrance, and take upon them the sin of their nation in shedding the righteous blood of Jesus. Though personally they had no share in it. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10, for the sin of David touching Bathsheba and Uriah may represent Israel's sin touching Jesus, innocent blood was shed, and unclean alliances were formed. The Jewish people cried out, crucify him, crucify him, and at the same moment said, we have no king but Caesar. And then, we may say in a sense and measure. The subsequent sorrows of David at the hand of Absalom represent the remnant's sorrows at the hand of their enemy, the willful king, and this makes the same penitential psalms the utterance of both David and the remnant. It is worthy of consideration whether the foot slipping in verse 16 is not calamity rather than transgression. See Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 35, Psalm chapter 94 verse 18. Psalm chapter 39, David's conduct toward he was dumb while the wicked were before him. He was accepting the punishment of his sin, bowing himself under the mighty hand of God in silence. His repentance, as in 2 Samuel 15-19 is a very affecting sight indeed. The path of the soul in this psalm is very blessed, and within the range of the experience of the saints at all times. It is to be traced thus, under provocation, the believer is resolved in God's strength to be silent, though this at first stirred and kindled the sorrow within, one, two. But the Spirit, in season, brought relief, and gave the fire of spiritual affections in the soul increased and lively energy. For this is his way, if nature be restrained, the new kingdom will rise in power. So it was here. During the silence put upon nature, this warmth of the renewed heart is heated, and yields blessed fruit to this silence and mortification, for the lips are opened, not to revile again nor to threaten those from whom he was suffering, but to commit himself to God, owning his own unworthiness, and taking all this suffering as from the hand of his gracious God for good, 3-11. His soul, by all this holy exercise, learns to see itself in heavenly companionship with God himself in this earth. And he only looks for strength to travel the rest of his pilgrim journey with increased alacrity and vigor, 12, and 13. This suits us all, and blessed is the soul of any saint thus healthfully exercised. We should know these paths of the Spirit better than we do. Thus will the repentant Israel of the latter day accept the punishment of their sin. Leviticus chapter 26 verse 40, So, in silence, did Jesus receive our chastisement. 
Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7, Matthew chapter 26 verse 63, see Psalm chapter 38, Shimei did the part of that injurious multitude who surrounded the blessed sufferer before the governor and on Calvary, reviling him with their lips, and gnashing on him with Arathophel was the Judas of those scenes in 2 Samuel. See Psalm chapter 109. Psalm chapter 40. Probably this psalm was uttered by David on the same occasion. But the spirit who spoke through David, and in David's circumstances, soon leaves David to utter the heart of Jesus only. Verses 6-8, and Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5-7. The opening verses give us the Lord's anticipation of his resurrection or deliverance, he afterwards rehearses his self-dedication, his ministry, his sorrows, and his cry. He tells us that he patiently waited for resurrection. He might, we know, have asserted his divine power, but he waited till he was raised, by the blood of the everlasting covenant. Hebrew 13, thus was he, as he says in this psalm. The poor and needy one, the one who depended on God for everything, the one who waited patiently in exercise of faith. As in other psalms, he confesses the sins which he had taken on him. For such confession both vindicates God, and is a gracious adoption of that which had been laid upon him, that we may have strong consolation in knowing the reality of the imputation of our sins to his account. As the high priest, under the law, confessed Israel's sins on the head of the scapegoat. The unnumbered multitude of God's thoughts, see also Psalm chapter 139, beautifully expresses the diligence and delight of God over Christ and his redeemed, as though this object were all his concern, and the center of all his counsels. Would that we knew how to enjoy this truth as we should. See Psalm chapter 70 in connection with the closing verses of this. Psalm chapter 41 This psalm still suits David in the same affliction. In it he seems at the beginning to have respect to Barzillai, who in the day of Absalom, Arthophel, and Shimei, considered the afflicted David. 2 Samuel 17 27, and 29, he then pleads against his enemies, and ends with anticipation of his own deliverance and their confusion to the praise of his God, the God of Israel. But Jesus is surely here, as in the others. We could not, we dared not, we would not, however, see him in verse 4, and this reminds me of what I have already observed on Psalm chapter 27. The daughters of Jerusalem, Luke chapter 23, may be regarded as filling in measure the place of Barzillai, as Judas does that of Arathophel, or the multitude that of Shimei. And they moved the Lord's sympathy, as Barzillai did David's. They gave him as it were a cup of cold water, and it got its reward. But Barzillai is a pattern of all who now in the day of his rejection own the righteous Jesus, to whom he says. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And blessed indeed is he who thus looks at the mystery of the preceding psalm, and considers the poor and needy Jesus, and who by faith casts in his lot with him. Blessed is he, as he says himself, whosoever is not offended in me. And yet the pride of life and the course of this apostate world make our following of this poor man no easy or pleasant thing. Note, here ends the first of the five books into which the Jews distribute the psalms. Psalms 42-49 constitute a little series or volume. They are all said to be, for the sons of Korah, an intimation of their being connected with each other. They may have been indicted at different times, but that is no matter, the Spirit of God has presented them to us together, and they so follow in order that one subject is duly unfolded in them. The subject may be said to be this, the sorrows of the Jewish remnant in the latter day, their triumphs, and then their joy and glory in Zion as head of the nations under the great king. Psalm chapter 42.
This psalm gives us the complaint of a suppliant who is in sorrow because of separation from God's house, because of the reproach of his enemies, and because of the remembrance of joy now gone by. He is, however, able to encourage himself in God, and to hope for the future. David's sorrow at the hand of Absalom was kindred with this, for we remember how he was then driven beyond Jordan, and how he sent back Zadok and the Ark of God to Jerusalem. All his joy was in God's habitation, but he had sinned, and his soul owned that joy was not his proper portion then. 2 Samuel 15. But in all this, we may say, like king, like people. The people, the true Israel of God, in the latter day will come to such sorrow and desire after God. They will mourn sore like doves, like doves of the valleys, all of them mourning, every one for his iniquity. Ezekiel chapter 7 verse 16, the Spirit of Christ, in full sympathy with them, for in all their afflictions he is afflicted, will lead the soul of the remnant in these exercises, making them his own. The challenge of the enemy to the individual suppliant, where is thy God, verse 3, is given to us in Joel chapter 2 verse 17, as said by the heathen to God's Israel. Where is the God? But the spirit of this psalm may be the burden of any righteous and afflicted one. And all such sorrow gives exercise of soul towards God, and advances the discipline of the wilderness. It gives knowledge of God's resources, which had never been otherwise brought out by him, or known by us. Psalm chapter 43. This is very similar to the preceding. The character of the enemy is perhaps more defined, and the willful king or the lawless one, and the apostate nation. The troubles of the righteous remnant are no doubt looked at by the Spirit. In the brokenness of his heart in these psalms, the suppliant pours forth interrupted words, sometimes addressing God, then his own soul, and then the enemy who was grieving him. The trial of any believer very naturally utters itself in the like manner, and all of us, duly waiting for Jesus and feeling what the world is without him, should find our sympathies in these psalms. We should all be conscious that we have tears to drink if God's water brooks are not with us. Psalm chapter 44. Here the complaint becomes the complaint of many. They stand in the consciousness of integrity, though in great sorrow, but they remember God's mercies to their fathers, and upon this they appeal to him. It is strikingly the cry of a martyred people, or of those who were suffering at the hand of man for righteousness' sake, and not for any iniquity or wrong they had done. Such was David when troubled by Saul, such will the godly Israel be when troubled by the bold infidel power of the latter day, and such, we need not say, was Jesus. The perfect witness of righteousness against the deeds of the world. John chapter 7 verse 7, but such, in our measure, should all of us be, in refusing the course of this present evil world, and taking the separate place of Jesus. There is an advance in the experience of the soul here. In the two earlier Psalms, 42, and 43, it had been rather the cry of a penitent, righteously separated from God's house, as David in Absalom's days, but here it is the cry of martyrs. This psalm strikingly shows that scripture, primarily or prophetically belonging to a particular people, may have moral or general application, for verse 1 plainly shows this to be a Jewish utterance. But Saint Paul applies it to all saints. Romans chapter 8 verse 36, and verse 22, and he intimates that as it is the blessed office of the Holy Ghost to maintain the soul in the sense of God's love, Romans 5 to 5, nothing shall be so strong against us as is the Holy Ghost for us, maintaining that love. Romans chapter 8 verse 39, a difference, however, between the suppliant in the psalm and the apostle in the epistle is this. The psalmist gathers present confidence in the sorrow from what the fathers had told of God's mercies in times of old. The apostle gathers his from being able, through the Holy Ghost. 
to trace God's counsels of love and glory towards himself and all that love God, the called according to his purpose. So, I may observe, there is a difference in the affection of the two, in the one it is fear, from the knowledge that God searcheth the heart, in the other it is love. From the knowledge of his unchangeable love. Psalm chapter 45. Messiah in his second advent is here celebrated, and this properly forms the Lord's gracious answer to the complaints of the remnant uttered in the preceding psalm. And to their cry there, Ps. 44-26, for Messiah to come as deliverer to Zion. The heart and the tongue find ready and joyful work when the king in his beauty becomes their subject. For in such a theme, the ready writer, the Holy Ghost, is at his due work. He is taking of the things of Christ to show to us. And the mind of the saint is at home also. As one of our own poets has said, speaking of the things of Jesus, my heart, my hand, my ear, my tongue, here's joyful work for you. But in passing on to the Lord as King, the prophet's heart and tongue pause for a moment over his person and ministry in the days of his flesh. And it may be that his present glory, as priest in the heavens, is intimated in the words, Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. But quickly all is passed by to see him, as King David. Fighting the Lord's battle in the cause of truth, meekness, and righteousness, and clearing the land of all workers of iniquity, and then as King Solomon, seated on the throne of glory. God consecrates him to the office, owning righteousness to be his title, and all greet him with love, like hers who once broke her alabaster box of ointment over his head, verses 8, 9. Jerusalem, the mystic queen, is also addressed, and the nations, her companions, set off the joy and glory of the king. But there is something striking as regards this queen. She is looked at as coming, like any sinner of the Gentiles, from some place of defilement which she is exhorted to leave behind her. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 13, this tells us the character in which Jerusalem will be finally received, even like a returned prodigal, and so the king shall greatly desire her beauty. For in such is all his delight. It is his own beauty he sees in such, the beauty he himself hath put on him, the shoes, and the ring, and the best robe. In this psalm accordingly the Lord's title is owned to stand in his righteousness, verse 7, but Jerusalem's title, the Queen's title, as that of every sinner, is only by grace. This is just and beautiful. And perhaps the canticles give us the exercises of this daughter thus considering, as she is here exhorted, passing through discipline of heart in preparation for this union with the King. Observe, the Queen is the earthly, not the heavenly Jerusalem, because, first, her marriage is with the King, not with the Lamb, second, her marriage follows, not precedes, the victory. The Jews in their ancient writings speak of a Jerusalem above and a Jerusalem below, and of the one being like the other, of Jerusalem being built in the firmament as Jerusalem on earth. We may read verses 16, and 17 as addressed to the King, thy, in verse 16, as well as in verse 17, being in the masculine gender. Psalm chapter 46. Here, as necessarily consequent upon the second advent which had, as we saw, just been celebrated or anticipated, the complaint of the remnant is turned into praise and gladness. God has now become their refuge. By his arm the enemy is stilled. Peace flows like a river, and the spear is turned into a pruning hook. The mountain, according to Matthew chapter 21 verse 21, had been cast into the sea, while the elect were in their closets, and now they rehearse all this. Nothing of terror touches them. They can talk of the waters gladdening, instead of overwhelming, them. They can triumph in the desolations, instead of perishing by them, for none less than God himself has been their refuge. Where is thy God, has been the reproach of the enemy, and the answer is returned to him in the triumph of this psalm.
the judgments on the ungodly precede the kingdom, as this psalm and all the scripture teach us, for by and by, righteousness will link itself with power, and then evil will be judged. And afterwards the whole earth will be governed in peace. Righteousness will take the sword first, and then the scepter. Psalm chapter 47. The God of Jacob, who had been celebrated in the preceding psalm in his warrior character, or as God of battles, is in this greeted in a further stage of his glorious ways. His Jewish people here speak as conscious of the place and dignity in the earth to which he has now called them, and he himself is addressed by them as having come to Zion. And there taken his seat as king of the whole earth, and all the nations are called to worship before him. He has gone up. The gates have now lifted up their heads to let this king of glory in. Psalm chapter 24. Jehovah Jesus, God of Israel, is now king of all the earth, there is one Lord, and his name one. Zechariah chapter 14. Some, competent to speak on such matters, have suggested that in the ninth verse, we should read, the princes of the people have joined themselves to the people of the God of Abraham. Psalm chapter 48. The same God of Jacob is looked at in a still onward stage of his glory. In the last psalm he had just gone up to his throne, as after victory, here he is seated, as king and priest, in his temple and on his throne. And because of this, Zion is the joy of the whole earth, as it has just proved itself the terror of all evil confederacies. Hope is now realized, and faith has become sight. As we have heard, so have we seen. The beauty of Jerusalem in the day of the glory is celebrated by the prophets, as well as the beauty of Messiah. The comeliness of the city as well as that of the son of David, of the queen as of the king in the days of the kingdom. See Psalm chapter 45, so here we are told to walk round her and survey her wall. Isaiah chapter 60 sets forth her honor and praise in these days. For David and Jerusalem were by ancient decree linked in one covenant of peace and joy, the Lord of Israel saying, Howbeit I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe for thy son. For David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake which I have chosen. 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 13, Psalm chapter 49. The dealings of the Lord with his Israel having been traced, and their course from sorrow and degradation up to settled glory and joy, Psalms 42 to 48. The prophet of God addresses a word of wisdom and admonition to all the world, taking these ways of God with Israel as his text. He seems to look at him as a parable, and in this psalm gives us the moral or application of that parable. He shows that God resists the proud, but raises the lowly, and that the upright alone have an abiding portion. And this is, indeed, the great moral of the world's history, as well as of Israel's. All shows that what is done, under the sun, is vanity, and that resurrection, comprehending what leads to it in grace, and what follows it in glory, is the only reality. See Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13 and 14, all honor in the world will perish like the beasts, verse 12. Wise and brutish ones alike, die, verse 10. Wealth is unequal to accomplish redemption from corruption, 6 to 9. All beauty, short of that, which the God of resurrection imparts, shall be consumed in the grave, but there is a morning to arise for the joy and glory of all who are his, 14, and 15. Resurrection will interpret all, it is the Lord's witness. And Israel delivered in the latter day will be Israel as in resurrection. Psalm chapter 50. This magnificent psalm presents the Lord conducting the judgment of the house of Israel in the last days. The judgment is set, verses 1 to 6, and then the books are opened, and out of them two distinct charges are read, as we shall presently see. The remnant are separated from this judgment by one simple characteristic. Those who had made a covenant with God by sacrifice. 
he does not describe them by any lengthened account of what they had either done or suffered for him, but he speaks of them as believers. As sinners trusting in the blood and sacrifice of the Saviour. This is enough for the purpose. As Jesus, introducing the saints to the notice of the Father, tells of them in the same one character, saying, They have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. John chapter 17, Jehovah then prefers his charges against Israel. He indicts them for ignorance of his true worship, in the same particulars as Saint Paul charges the Gentiles in his sermon at Athens. Acts 17, and it is simply this man in his religion treats God as one who is to be ministered to and to be appeased, instead of as the blessed giver and reconciler himself. This is the grand difference between human and divine religion. God's religion is grace, man's religion is works. Israel had loaded the altar with offerings, but did not use God as a deliverer, 7 to 15. Such is the first charge read out of the books when the judgment is set. The second is then moved against them. It concerns their practical life and conversation, as the former did their religion and worship. It condemns their conduct as astray also. Religious they were, but unrighteous also, 16 to 21. Upon all this the Lord addresses a word of warning, of rebuke, and of exhortation, that Israel may heed it in time, ere the judgment thus announced enters, and there be no escape. Let them learn the religion of praise, and the conduct of righteousness, and thus be duly and happily on the road to salvation or glory, 22, and 23. It is well, we may say on this psalm, that the heart be established with grace, not with meats. God's sanctuary is furnished with grace, man's with meats or carnal observances. If it be God's sanctuary we enter, we shall do so with praise, and leave it to walk in a well-ordered conversation onward to salvation or the kingdom as here shown us. If it be man's sanctuary we enter, the spirit of bondage will fill us, meats or religiousness will occupy us, but no real renewed devotedness to God. God's truth will free the conscience, and make us happy in him through boundless riches of grace, and obedient to him in ways of righteousness. Man's lie or man's religion will keep us in fear, and leave us unrenewed. Psalm chapter 51. This psalm appears to come very expressively after the preceding one. It exhibits a soul giving heed to the doctrine and warning delivered there. It is a call on the Lord, 50 verse 15, in the day of trouble, in the day of deepest trouble too, soul trouble. The poor sinner here flees to grace, flees with his burden to God alone. And this is what the rebuke on the legal religion of Israel in the last psalm would warrant and lead to. It is not alone the utterance of David, penitent for his sin touching Uriah and Bathsheba, but the utterance of the repentant remnant in the latter day. See Psalm chapter 38, the confessor brings a broken heart to God, the only present acceptable offering. But when accepted and pardoned, then will his thanksgiving and burnt offering of praise be rendered and received. And it is in God alone, as I have said, that the afflicted soul here seeks its relief. He repudiates other confidences. Even ordinances are not his refuge. Sacrifices and offerings which he might bring he renounces as the remedy for his guilt. But it is God's washing, God's salvation and righteousness alone he pleads for and looks to. And this is blessed. For ordinances are resorted to by a convicted soul oft times, as a good heart or a good life would be trusted in by a mere moralist but it is only another, though more subtle, form of self-righteousness. And further we may observe this psalm tells us that as God was all David's relief and repose, so was he all David's object, against thee, the only, have I sinned. As he says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. This was the thought in the heart of the true penitent then, and must be still. 
and from the history we know that the Lord did become David's object. All his behavior after his conviction showed this, for he would let the Lord do with him just as he pleased, bring him back to gladness as and when he pleased, 2 Samuel 15:25, and plead for him himself with his reviler and persecutor. 2 Samuel 16:12. how does all this tell us to cultivate the habit of walking with God? Little to be judged of man's judgment, says the apostle. May we be so minded. May we desire to prove our own work in God's presence, so that we may have rejoicing in ourselves alone, and not in another. May we give the Lord his place in us. He had no place in Judas's heart, he had in Peter's, he had none in the heart of Saul, he had in David's. And so will he have in the affections of his Israel by and by. When they learn to own their sin against him, as in the language of this psalm, while the nation, with apostate heart, will be saying, it is vain to serve God. Malachi chapter 3. Psalm chapter 52. This psalm presents something quite in contrast with the preceding. There the sinner, as we saw, was broken down and turned to God in repentance, here he goes on still in wickedness and in the stubbornness and pride of his heart refusing grace. The penitent was David or the Jewish remnant, as we also saw, and this mighty boaster is as Absalom or the willful king. This apostate is here still triumphant, but the remnant are trusting in grace, and anticipating the dominion over him. The taunting proverb, as Habakkuk speaks, is very fine here, v. 7. We have several of these in scripture, uttered over the fall of some proud infidel despises of the Lord. His goodness has been scorned, his corrections unheeded, his entreaties mocked, his warnings slighted, and then, when there is no remedy, the Lord, laughs at the calamity, and mocks when the fear cometh. See Exodus chapter 15, Judges chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 14 Ezekiel chapter 28, Revelation chapter 18. For instances of these insultations or taunting proverbs. And this psalm is interesting to us as giving us a divine interpretation of the olive tree, and its branches. See Romans chapter 11, it is grace or the covenant of promise. And those who trust in it, as the penitent here says, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. And such is the interpretation of the same symbol in Romans chapter 11, for those branches there said to be cut off were such as did not believe. I.e., trust in mercy, and those who are there promised an abiding place are so promised on their continuing in goodness, i.e., continuing in the grace of God. And so the olive trees and the candlesticks are connected. Zechariah chapter 4, Revelation chapter 11, for to be a witness, we must first live by grace ourselves. We must draw forth the fatness of the olive air we can shine on the candlestick. 